Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a podcast for creatives of the comedy variety. I change that every week. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. Thank you so much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. This is a very fun episode. Uh, why don't you follow us on Twitter or Facebook at There It Is Pod. You can also go to our website, thereitispod.com, look at some old blogs and support the podcast. If you're listening to this on iTunes or SoundCloud, leave a review and share it with friends. This is such a fun episode. When I started this podcast, I've said this once or twice before. When I started this podcast, it was to have discussions like the one I'm going to share with you today. It was so encouraging, so insightful, very informative. It is with the one and only Jimmy Corain, the Chicago improviser and instructor. He also hosts Improv Nerd, a huge podcast, really wonderful podcast. I was very thankful that he took the time out of his day to do this interview with me. He was he was very gracious. He was a great guy. Well, enough chatting about the chat. Let me just give it to you now. Here's my talk with the one and only Jimmy Corain. We actually met once in Chapel Hill. It was the Sound Bites Festival when you were there with Improv Nerd. And it was very brief. It was on the sidewalk, and I was standing waiting to get a cheeseburger. At this, I was standing on the sidewalk waiting to get a cheeseburger, and you walked past. So it was very brief, but we actually met once. Was was I nice? You were very nice. You could tell that okay. you were very nice. You could, I could, before I spoke to you, when you were just at the other end of the sidewalk, just at the corner of the sidewalk, walking towards, I said, "He's getting trying to get somewhere, so just say a quick hello." I could just tell by how fast you were walking that you had somewhere to be. Well, I, I was a Chicago guy in North Carolina, so I, I probably stuck out. Oh, well. <laughs> but sometimes when I teach those, you know, like I'll go in, you know, and I, I love going to, you know, different cities and, and teaching improv. And, but it's, it's really um, a condensed schedule. So, mm-hmm. like, I'll go in. I think that I, I was teaching two three-hour workshops, and then I – was doing an improv nerd that night or had done an improv nerd the night before. So it's like, it's really intense. So I, I'm always afraid that like, I'll see people that have just taken the workshop and I'll forget their name or they'll see me in a restaurant and I'll be rude or something. Oh, so yeah. it, I'm usually, usually, usually <laughs> under a lot of pressure. Well, yeah. you were incredibly warm when you greeted me. So I could tell that you were a nice person. Well, thank you. Yeah, so don't worry about that. You were definitely I know I know it's the South where there's all this talk about southern hospitality, but you were you were definitely very warm and kind when we met and uh and seemed outgoing. You were you didn't brush me off or anything. You're you're very cool. Well, thank you. And uh so how is it when you're traveling and and instructing people and as you said it's a condensed schedule. So is it kind of hard to really get to the meat of things sometimes with with improvisers well i gotta tell you something and i i i think i've I've just been blown away you know with 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 touring probably in the last three years i've been to i I don't even know the number of places but 
I, it's so amazing the talent and the training that's going on across the country. Right. So that's like really, really cool. So the the to, to answer your question, since the students are at such a high level of you know getting training now, even in smaller markets, mm-hmm. that it, it's it's not that difficult to get to 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 the meta stuff, and it's so. It's just so cool, like after they've done taking a workshop saying, oh, you know, we, we love what you do or, you know, we've, we've never felt this close to each other or, you oh, know, right. we're really bonded. So, you know, I, where did I just – oh, I was down in Miami and we did like two and a half – a two and a half hour workshop. Typically I'll do a three-hour workshop and we we got to it. So oh, wow. uh, I'm hoping in about 10 years I can do it in 10 minutes. <laughs> when – uh a couple of friends of mine who've taken workshops with you were saying, oh, that was incredible. He was so great. So you are definitely reaching people. And well, that's, uh, that's good to know because oh. you don't know all that. You do, when you go to different cities and, you know, you don't know, you, you really don't know until when you get back and then you get emails and, and Facebook messages saying, you know, that was awesome. That was incredible. Stuff like that. Hmm. I'm really glad that that's the experience you're having because if I were trying to teach a group and this was the only chance I had to teach that group and I felt like I wasn't reaching them, that would be incredibly frustrating, wouldn't it? Yes. I think the thing is, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. And the thing is, you have, I just did a a group, uh, uh, it was basically psychiatrists. And, you know, if you've listened to the podcast Improv Nerd, you know, Mm -hmm. I love therapy. I'm in therapy and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, this is going to be a lot of fun, which it was a lot of fun. But in the middle of it, you know, we're doing very simple games and therapists as a rule can be in their head. You know, they're very analytical. They can be like, you know, they, they can, you know, in this conference, you know, that I was at, you know, there's a lot of like, oh, let, let's bat around an idea and see who's right. So it's it's kind of the opposite of yes and in agreement with improv. Right. And, you know, there was a point in the during the um, and we were doing one word story, which is, you know, just a very simple game. And I'm like, you know, they were struggling with it. And I'm like, I've got to I right at that moment. I have to adjust my expectations. So wherever I go, you know, I am always and that's that's hard for me because if you've taught games as long as I have certain games, you you have this expectation. And it's great too to let go while you're teaching, let go of your expectations and go, okay, this is what they can do. I am not going to force them to do something they can't they can't do. Right. Yeah, that's a really great approach to take in. That was it reminds me of the approach Sharna Halpern took because I was talking to her about the the workshop and how it was described in the pamphlet that we had. And she said, yeah, um, I don't know what they wrote in there. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I, I've been doing this for so long. I, I know to how to get an assessment of the people who are there taking the workshop and figuring out on, you know, in the moment, okay, this is what they need to learn. That just comes with experience, right? Um, it does come with experience. Um, it also comes with, uh, trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, Um, you know, when I first started out teaching improv, I would go in and, you know, I'd be working off a syllabus today. I don't do that. And, and I think, I would say in, you know, just like improvising, doing it on stage in front of an audience, 
it takes, you know, as people know, it takes years to get good, you know, mm-hmm. and I love Miles Stroth. There's a quote that uh, he let us use for the book Improvising Better, which I co-wrote with Liz Allen about, I don't even know about, about probably close to eight or eight or nine years ago. And it said, it took him five years to stop sucking. I'm probably <laughs> paraphrasing that. But the same goes for teaching improv. And I would say probably in the last five or six years, I just go in and I improvise along with the class. And I think because that's what we do, we're we're teaching improv. And so we're also modeling for our students what we want them to do. So if you go in with a syllabus and say, okay, we got to do this, you know, and we got to hit this exercise. And that's how I did it for years and years. And I, and, and really, um, it didn't, it, it wasn't until the last five or six years where I'm like, you know what, I'm just improvising along with them. You know, I know certain exercises I'm going to start out with, but if they take me down a different path, I'm going to follow them. Just like if somebody initiated something in a scene, I'm going to follow my partner. And it's, it's made it, it's made me a much better teacher and it's made it a much more, um, collaborative process and a much, it's just a much more fun process. Wow, that's so helpful for me because I just finished teaching a one-on-one class this Monday. It was the first time I've truly taught a class. I did a couple of workshops before, and I've coached before, and I'm coaching a team now, and I use a syllabus. And I realized the first time I ever coached that the direction I was trying to take everyone was not really the best direction for them. And I quickly learned the hard way why having this plan isn't really the best thing in improv coaching. And I'll share a, a tip that, that, you know, that's really worked for me, but you, you really have to come from a place of confidence. Um, I, if I feel, I, I encourage my students to, this is, this is not a lecture class, this is an ongoing dialogue. So whatever comes up for you, like if you feel you're in your head or you hate me or you know, you're frustrated with an exercise or it feels mechanical, I really encourage my students to speak up and, 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 and voice that because that's something I didn't have when I was, when I was starting out. Mm. But mo- more importantly is that that can get, that it, by speaking it, it can free you up. If you feel like I'm, you know, if I, you know, if I get in class and go, I, I've had a bad day. I just, I'm judging myself or I feel I'm in my head by just speaking it, that's going to free you up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's like really important. But the tip that I use, if I'm lost as a teacher, but, and, and it usually when, when I'm lost, meaning like, do I want to do group scenes or do I want to do two person scenes? Uh, uh, last Wednesday in my artist low comedy class, I said, you know, I, this is this is the be- this is the beginning of the class. We do the warm ups, and then I said to these guys, "Would you like to work with emotions today, or would you like to work with environment?" Mm. And so I took a group conscience at the beginning, and people said, "Let's do emotions." So when I'm lost myself, I turn it over to the class. Now, here's the thing that I've learned is give them a choice. Don't go, I'm lost. I don't know what to do. Um, <laughs> what do you want to do? Then, right. Then you're, then you're going to lose, you'll, you'll lose some of your authority and some of your power. But if, if you're like, uh, you know, I, I think they either want to do this or they want to do that, but I'm not really that sure. Let's ask them and let's have that dialogue because it's an improv class and we're all making it up as we go along. Right. 
Right. I think that's brilliant. I think that's so helpful. And I think the times when I've gotten out of my head and off of my syllabus, I was connecting with them better, too. Oh, and I can't tell you, there is nothing more exciting than somebody goes, oh, you know, I'm struggling with I don't know what it is. And then in the in, in right there, you go, OK, I want two people up and you're making you're improvising an exercise based on what whatever their issue is. Right. That to me is like I leave that class with a performance high. Mm. Oh, that's great. That's really cool. I feel like in order for me to do that as well as others is to really kind of know a lot of different exercises or games that people can do or warm-ups that people can do and then they can just come to me on the fly yeah i mean my my head is so um you know i'll forget exercises you know i have a, a couple really good exercises that here's you know here's another thing is that i've learned if you can get them to to, to this the whole thing about being a, you know it's an ongoing conversation and it's not a lecture mm-hmm. i've had more students give me games that i you know like I wasn't even aware of. And there's two games in particular. Um, Pete Byrne, who was a student of mine, he was out of Rochester. He's in Chicago now. Mm-hmm. He There was just two great games. And one of the games he, he had, two people would get on stage and they would just repeat the name. So, you know, it would be Bill, Fred, Bill, Fred, Bill, Fred, Bill, Fred, Bill, Fred. And they would make this really strong emotional connection before any plot or any dialogue was was spoken and you you might repeat it 30 or 40 times and there's this 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 current that's created there's this there's this energy between the two partners this this tension and then they go into dialogue and they create a scene and 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 you know a two-person scene and that game is just I, I use that game all the time. And then there was another one he gave me, which was um, you do a 60 second scene. Uh, it, it, it's really to get people to start in the middle of a scene, you know, mm-hmm. get to the meat of the scene. Right. So you do it. You do the 60 second. Then you repeat it the same scene for 45 seconds, then 30 seconds, then 15 seconds and then 10 seconds. And both those games are really they're really great games. I hope I'm explaining it right for Yeah, for it sounds like the last one sounds like it well we call it is half life and it's just you do a scene and you do it at half the time and yes. then again at half the time. Yes. And it's used as a game in a short form show. However, it's very good at learning how to get to the meat and to the crux of what a scene is. Yeah. And you know what? I learned those games maybe three years ago. And you know what? I, I was I, I remember that one of them and I think it was the, the, the one we just described, the get to the meat of it. Mm-hmm. And the other one, I just I, 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 I just blanked out. And then one day in class, it just came back to me. So it's like, mm. you know, my, my head is so filled with games and I forget yeah. them. Yeah. And you don't know how that stuff is getting filed in your brain and it just comes out at random times. Yep. And also, <laughs> you don't know. You know, Michael Gelman, who uh, I just uh, was uh, just a huge influence on me as a teacher when I was teaching at Second City, Mm -hmm. he'd given me this game, which is another game that that just I love teaching and people seem to love doing it. It's basically you get you get two people on stage as a two person scene and you uh, you give them a scenario, Um, you know, something that's got some emotional weight to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe they're two high school kids and uh, it's prom night and they lost their virginity. And instead of using words, they're going to use uh, numbers. 
So they're going to say they're going to repeat. They're going to they're going to say numbers one through 50. So it'd be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And that's going to be the dialogue throughout the scene until they get to 50. Mm -hmm. And that game, it was just it's an incredible game. But the interesting thing is Michael Gaveman. I was teaching at Second City at the time. And and I, I love teaching at Second City because I love the community of Second City. And I also loved, we, they had a teacher's lounge and you, you could go back and say, look, I'm struggling with this, you got a game, or I don't feel like teaching tonight, what can I do? And people would give you stuff. And that, that was invaluable. So Gelman gives me this game, you know, two years, let's say two years ago, and, and then I come back to him and I say, you know, and, and Michael says, okay, this is the game and this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is why you're teaching it. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, I said, hey, Michael, you know, two years later, I've, I've taught this game and it was for, for, you know, this is why I taught it. And Michael goes to me, well, really, you're teaching it for, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, and then I felt shame, like oh, I had yeah. done it wrong. But what I had learned was if you get a game, Jason, and I get a game, mm -hmm. we're going to it's it, it, because just like we're, you know, just because we have different life experiences, we're going to use it totally different. And there is no right or wrong, you know, for that. Right. Right, exactly. Because what, especially if you're teaching a, I would imagine if you're teaching or coaching a large group, there are going to be different dynamics in that group. And you're trying to reach a particular portion of that group for one thing. And you're maybe not trying to reach another portion of that group with that particular exercise, but it's maybe what the overall team needs. Yeah. And the other thing is getting back to this thing of dropping ex expectations is, you know, you may say, OK, I'm doing one through 50 for an emotional connection. But if you're in the moment and you see, well, you know what, Th this class really, you know, they're fine with in the moment. Maybe it's uh, they're discovering a different use or a different focus or a different objective for the game. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher who's been teaching for a long time, that's the thing that's that that can be really exciting, but it also can be frustrating because you need to you need to let go and you need to learn from your students. Yeah, that's that's the big thing that I need to really learn. I, I not that I'm not at all learning, but I think I could really put down that syllabus and get out of my head and say, what is it they are telling me right now? Let me listen to that and go with that. So essentially, when you're teaching, or or are you coaching as well, or are you primarily? I'm ju I'm just I'm primarily teaching. So I'm are you're basically diagnosing where people are. You're you're taking an assessment of where people are, and you're saying here's what they could utilize right now, and here's well, an exercise yes, that'll help. Yes, them. and you know you were talking earlier about you know like uh, really good teachers go in and they improvise their lesson plan, and you'd mentioned you know how Sharna approaches it and. And I believe that really good teachers are assessing as they as they as you go along. It's almost like, um, you know, it, you know, like when you're improvising a scene, there's three or four different things that are going on in your head. You know, that's the same thing that's going on. Always in the back of my mind is me assessing what they need. Right. That's so good. That's really helpful for me to hear. I want to go back a little bit to your beginnings in improv. Sure. I'd you, love to talk about it. Yeah, I'd love to hear about it because I've heard only a little bit. It, I get the impression you started out in the mid-80s in mm -hmm. Chicago. Correct. And with some of the other big names of improv. I mean, yes. that was a time period where 
everyone who just about everyone who is watching uh, these great improvisers has started. I mean, you, who were some of the people that you were starting out with? Um, well, when I started it, well, when, uh, when, I, let's see, uh, when I, I started a place called the players workshop, the second city. And, and at that time that was one of the few, I mean, believe it or not, there wasn't even in Chicago, there was only a couple places to study. Mm-hmm. And that was the, you know, if you went to see a second city show, which I had done and you wanted to get into improv and take improv classes, that was the place they recommended you started. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where I started. And from there, I then went to the second city. Um, the, it really wasn't, it wasn't called the conservatory. I think it might've been called the training center and it was a five level program. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in my class, uh, my, you know, the, you'd put on, a uh, fifth level show. It was a second city style review it was Tim Meadows mm-hmm. and Tim Meadows, uh, then he was the one who really turned me on to the improv Olympic now known as IO Chicago. Right. And uh, Tim uh, Tim took me to um, – it was one night. It was a Saturday night. We were hanging out after class. It was one of those – you know, we, class was done at noon and we were – you know, we hang, hung out and he, we went that night to um, – uh, it was there. That, then it was at Cross Currents, the Improv Olympic. Mm-hmm. And he got – I got to play in a Herald and I didn't know anything about Herald. Uh, he explained it was three scenes. Don't worry. And he took care of me. And, and, and I, I, I know this scene. Uh, I, he was a cab driver and I was a clown called crib death, the clown. (laughs) And it was, it was, it was like one scene, great scene, second scene, great scene. And then the third scene in those days, it was to try to bring it all together. Mm -hmm. And I was, I remember being so pissed off that we didn't get to do that third scene because everybody, we, they tried to tie it together, which sometimes worked and and most of the times didn't. But, um, uh, but anyways, so then I, then I, then I started at the Improv Olympic and that really was for me, that was such a great place. And then I made, uh, when I was starting out, uh, Andy Dick was, was, uh, on a team. Uh, wow. I played with Andy, I think a couple times with Andy. Yeah. Andy was uh, just crazy, funny, always back then. <laughs> yeah. Then. Then I got into Dell's class and I met Dave Keckner and I'll never forget the first scene Dave and Dave, Dave and I did in um, Dell's class. Now Dell, if anybody uh, doesn't know Dell Close, you know he was this legendary improv guru. Uh, worked with all the big names at Second City, from Bill Murray to the Belushi's, then mm-hmm. later Tina Fey, uh, Amy Poehler, Farley, Amy and Poehler. Farley, yeah, yeah. So we did a scene, Dave and I. Now. Dell is this intimidating guy in a deep voice, mm-hmm. off, <clears throat> clearing his throat a lot, and he's and he can be mean. I mean, I would see him humiliate people in class. And yeah, the thing- I heard a story Tina Fey told about doing a scene and then with a couple people, and after the scene, he said, "What was that scene about?" And they tried to come up with an idea, and he said, "I think it was a scene about bad improv." Yeah. And that was Tina. Tina was studying him with when he when he mellowed, you know. Yeah, I mean, and so you so you had two things going on. You were terrified that you'd be humiliated in class, and you desperately wanted his approval. Oh wow! So So that's what kept people coming back. Oh yeah, you know, and he, you know, he. 
the, he gave you a lot of gifts and uh, he gave me a lot of gifts. I, I, it was, it, it could be very painful getting those gifts. Hmm. So Dave and I did this scene and it was two people and we were staring out at the sun and one person was going blind. And it was like every line, I'd say a line, Dave would get a laugh. Then I'd say a line, I'd get a laugh. It was like the perfect scene. Right. Mm-hmm. And I just remember that that great feeling after we were done with that and getting, you know, Dell was like heaping on the praise, you know. And the thing about mm-hmm. Dell that I, I have a ton of respect for, though, uh, he would not play favorites. Another person that, I, you know, we started out with who actually came, he was in Canada, was Mike Myers. Oh, wow. And, and it would be so interesting. Dell wouldn't play favorites. If Myers did or anybody did something well, he would praise you. If you did something stupid, it didn't matter what you did the week before or what you even did the last scene in class, Dell would call you on your shit. Oh, so wow. he, had a, he had a very high uh, threshold. Um, so though, and then, you know, you know, when I was uh, started to, to get on a house team and play regularly, you know, Chris Farley uh, and Ian Gomez and Brian McCann were, uh, you know, were on a team. And then, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, with Armando, I was in the original caster of Armando. And that was just like that to me was the time uh, with improv in Chicago, like the golden age of improv in Chicago, because you had the uh, you had Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, Ian Roberts, Amy Poehler. You had the, the four original uh, UCB uh, in that cast is I'm pretty sure Neil Flynn from scrubs. And oh, then wow. middle was in that cast. Keckner was in that cast. Adam McKay was in that cast. Wow. Uh, John Glazer was in that cast. Kevin Dorf, Brian stack, Noah Gregoropoulos. Uh, I, I mean, Laura Kraft. I mean, there, it was like, it was, Stacked. it was, it was Miles Straw. It was the family, Ali Faranakian. Wow. Uh, Armando was the monologist. I mean, it was, I, I, I'm, I, I, I apologize if I'm leaving anybody out, but it was like the culminate, the culmination of improv in Chicago there because you had the yeah. family, you had the UCB, you know, the UCB four, which a lot of them came from the family. You had a group I was in called jazz Freddie. So Pete Gardner was, I believe in, in Armando, uh, and Miriam Tolan. So you had all, so you had jazz fed, you had all these people and then people from the main stage. I know later Scott Adson played conversion of, of improv in, in in the nineties. It was, it was, it was a great time. You got to see all these amazing people all the time and work with them all the time. And these, these are people that are people that I richly admire and, and and am inspired by. I wish in retrospect, I could have learned more from them. I think, you know, you want to prove yourself. I did. And you're competitive and you're scared to death, you know, because you feel like you're not uh, talented enough. You can't really hang with them. Mm. And there's jealousy. I mean, I was I was probably jealous of, of most people I've ever worked with. And. I've heard you talk about that before. How does one, if someone's starting out now and they're in a big city and working in a in a theater that people are pluck, getting plucked from to be on SNL or The Daily Show and they're not getting plucked from it, uh, what advice would you give them to sort of relax and enjoy where they are now? Well, I think, and again, you know, it's something that I, I, I try to bring in my class, which is you, you speak it. 
I think jealousy, people are afraid to say, to admit, I'm jealous of Tina Fey. I'm jealous of Amy Poehler. I'm jealous of Dave Koechner. I'm jealous of Mike Birbiglia. I just did a, a interview with him on Improv Nerd. And I said, you know, Mike, I'm jealous of you. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not saying go and find those people that you're jealous of and say <laughs> you're jealous to them. Um, just be honest. You, you know, I think it, it, it may help down the road if it's a close friend. You go, you know, I'm just I'm je- you know, I'm I'm jealous of, uh, you know, if you have a good relationship with them, you know, you know, I'm really jealous that you got this. Because here's the thing about jealousy. If you got Jason, if you got a, a TV show, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I could be jealous. Right. You know, but it's not it's not about you. It's about me. Right. That's the thing. Right. So to admit to somebody, get in therapy and admit it. Close friends that you trust, that you feel they're they're gonna they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna keep it private you know amongst yourselves to them you know and say look you know I'm really jealous of so and so because what happened with me was I think it comes out sideways on the stage. I did a wonderful show with Stephanie Ware from Mad TV. It was a mm, was really great. an early two person improv show and for one hour we did one scene but I was and she is one of the best people I have ever improvised with I mean she is um, she's a a brilliant writer a brilliant actor and a brilliant improviser and she can bring those all together on stage Mm. and you can you know for me I was so jealous of her talent and it came I believe subconsciously it came it, it, it manifested on stage. Mm-hmm. Had I been in therapy, had I been able to, to talk about it with somebody and not feel shame about being jealous, I believe it would have been a better experience for me, a better experience for her and the director and the audience and so forth. But I was so unaware of it that um, I, I really think jealousy can, I mean, it, it can make you do crazy stuff and you're mm-hmm. not even, you, you don't even realize it. I would 100% agree with that. And I think there's also a lot of kind of an acceptance of the great things around you. I mean, uh, one of Conan O'Brien, I've said publicly before, he's my hero. And one of the things I love that he said was, if you work hard and you're kind, amazing things will happen to you. And when you get to perform with the people around you, and this is, I'm not speaking to you, I just mean the general you. If you're getting to perform an improv with all these amazing people around you and you're learning new things and you're seeing new things and having these great experiences, that's amazing things. Maybe um, I'm going up to New York and I may it'll be real hard to get on a house team and I may not get any attention when I'm up there. But what's definitely going to be true is that I'm going to meet amazing people and perform with amazing people and see amazing things. So. I still need to take that from my experience in New York. I can't say, well, I didn't get on this show or that show uh, and act like it's a wash. I still need to look at it and say, these amazing things happened. And I worked hard and I was kind to people and these amazing things happened. I, you know, um, that's a really great attitude. You know, my, for me, it was, it was always, you know, in the rearview mirror. You know, when everybody migrated to New York or Los Angeles or uh, you know, I left a show or I left a theater or they left a show and they left a theater. That's when I realized, Oh, oh, oh I learned something from them. This was an amazing time, mm-hmm. but you know, it's very hard. And this is me cause I'm totally fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't appreciate until it's, t- till it's over. 
Toilet's yeah, gone. and I think most people are like that to a certain degree, just because hindsight, as they say, is always twenty twenty. But yeah, I wish I could be a little more present in the moment and appreciate what's going on and not get so in my head. I think the other thing about you know jealousy, and I'm glad we're getting an opportunity to talk about it, is is then so you get to admit it. You may, and you know, I, I I'm a big proponent of therapy, and you know, if you you know recovery, any sort of 12 step groups that you need help with, because I, you know, this, this, you, I need all the help I can get. And then, so, so get all your help with that and then create, you know, the the other, the other great medication for jealousy is, you know, why am I jealous of Mike Birbiglia? Well, Mike Birbiglia is doing everything that I would love to do. And he's successful at it and he's nice about it. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's a great guy and he's super talented. Um, and I imagine don't think twice also spoke to you in that regard too. Oh my God. I cried. It was such a beautiful movie. My, I went, I, I, you know, I I brought it up in therapy and two weeks later, my therapist went and saw the movie and said, you know, that's your life story, you know, Mm. because I had an opportunity to go to, to Saturday night live. And, um, audition for for the show i had a, a a plane ticket they had given me and a in a hotel room and a lot of people uh, were going to audition from chicago the the improv community and uh, i blew it off and because i didn't get any support and i didn't have a therapist and i didn't have friends that i could go to and say look you know i really um don't want to do this I, you know i probably mm-hmm. you know the lie is i i did have friends i could go to I had a hard time asking for help and trusting them. That's that. That's where I, I I failed. And you know, people will say to me, you know, I always end the podcast saying, you know, one piece of advice, you know, right. you give somebody an improv and comedy. My advice, you know, is, you know, find people that you trust that you can bounce ideas off of. You know, I would have if I would have had a support system in place, I would have taken that audition to Saturday Night Live. And I'm not kidding you, Jason, I wouldn't have gotten Saturday Night Live. I'm, I, I'm almost positive, but that's not the point. The point right. the point is that I would have gotten out of my comfort zone. And every time you take a little risk on stage or in your life, the, you know, the universe gets a little bigger. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I know I wouldn't have gotten Saturday Night Live, but who knows what other opportunities would have come just by taking that risk. So. Right. Getting back to the jealousy thing, create your own stuff. You know, do what Mike Rabiglia is doing. He's creating his own stuff. He's made his own path. And there is a great article in the New York Times. Of, I think it was like uh, six tips to, you know, making it small in Hollywood. And that <laughs> guy has done it. And so look up that article. I saw that article and it is great. You know, but creating your own stuff is great medication. It is great medication. When I create my own stuff, you start talking less about people. You're more focused. You're happier. You know, you have a purpose. Mm -hmm. Have you read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic? No. Oh, I think you should read that. It's touching on the stuff that you're talking about. It's called Big Magic, and it talks about living a creative life and what that really means and it's not about chasing uh chasing fame and all the stardom or anything like that it's living a creative life could be something that you quietly do but it's something that's good for you to do well that gives me hope because um 
Uh, as you know, if you've listened to the podcast, I'm obsessed. I'm less obsessed with fame, but I always feel like fame and success and money um, is, is going to complete me. And, you know, I can tell you intellectually it won't, but there's still a part of me that's like, I, I really think, you know, you know, if, if, that, you know, if I become famous, it's going, uh, you know, I'm going to live happily ever after. And But you are famous. Yeah, but I'm not famous to you're the not, level. Okay, I get you're not like George well, Clooney you. or Matt Damon famous. Thank you, Jason. Thank you. I am famous. Yes. You are. I mean, when I told people that I had you on, they had a very big, oh, my God, response. Like, I, like that's that's amazing. That's great. Good for you. I mean, that you're a, a big get for me. Well, thank you. Yeah, and I mean, you and Sharna now are the ones, like, whenever I get a name like a Jimmy Corrine, I lead with that one. as like, hey, I interviewed this person. Can you do the interview now? <laughs> Can you do this podcast for me? Right, uh, Jimmy did it. Sharna did it. You should do it, too. We right? call that bandwagoning. Bandwagoning. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I will shamelessly do it. Seriously. I do it all the time. And the bigger the people you get, the, you know, it's it's just how it works. Yeah. Speaking of podcasting and, uh, I mean, where you are and your your ability to get big names, you've had some of the biggest names in the comedy community, and you've had so such great interviews with them. I love the one that you did with Jon Favreau, and I mean, there are countless great ones. Um, how What is the learning process in that? What If someone's wanting to start out a podcast of their own, what are the things you could tip them off on? Okay. What, what I, what I would suggest, um, I, you know, I had 10 years of public radio experience. Uh, so, um, I knew how to put an interview together and, and, um, you know, do some research and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I would say, uh, and you're doing it, you're doing, you're doing a lot of stuff really well. Um, the, the, but the biggest thing, the biggest thing is one is if you're going to do an interview show, because I can only speak about interview shows, prepare, you know, do some preparation. Um, that is huge, you know, because that that's that's going to show. And, and uh, so that's number one. Number two is nobody's just going to find it. So if you think that, you know, like when I started, I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, like I was an idiot. I was so stupid and so ignorant, like. I really thought in terms of interview comedy podcast, it was me and Mark Marin, and that was it. Uh -huh. And it would just be uh, months before, you know, I had as many downloads and, you know, Mark Marin and I traded off the number one spot on the iTunes list. Mm -hmm. uh, that has never happened. <laughs> um, but so I was really, you know, I was really clueless. So promote it. You know, that's the other thing. I mean, uh, you know, I'm promoting endlessly uh, the podcast when the episodes come up on Twitter, on Facebook. I mean, a lot of groups, you know, make sure that it gets out to a lot of groups. And, you know, to add on to that is know what you know, what your niche is in your market. You know, I, you know, again, I was such an idiot. I'm like, oh, everybody knows improv. Well, everybody doesn't know improv. Improv is a very small community. And yeah. probably in retrospect, I would have made it, you know, broader and done comedy. But mm -hmm. um, so know what your niche is and then exploit that niche. So for me, exploiting that niche means, okay, it's improvisers. Where are their improvisers? Okay. 
Um, they're on Facebook groups. Okay, so make sure you get in the Facebook groups, and when they come out, put it out there. Because podcasting today, and if you if you go to iTunes and look up, the, you know, the 200 top podcasts, they range from everything. Right. So. Um, find what your niche is and then just exploit that niche, you know? Mm -hmm. Before I launched this podcast, I learned a lot by paying attention to what you were doing with Improv Nerd. I was going to the Twitter account and looking at how you, how you all tweeted and, you're, you know, I, I just looked online at a lot of different podcasts and how they did online stuff and that helped me a lot. Well, thank you. And the other thing that you do, you did well and it, it was the best $100 I ever spent was like you have like a really good web presence you have a good a good uh, logo and we spent like a hundred hundred dollars on the, those orange glasses and uh it you know looks the, really cool right thank you and it's really slick well that you know like so i you know you asked me to do your podcast and i'm like well i don't know jason farr and the thing is, I, you know, and you said Sharna had done it. So I'm like, okay, so bandwagoning, Sharna did it. So it's, it's, you know, that, you know, that makes it okay for me to do it, right? Mm -hmm. Then I go to your web presence and I'm impressed with your web presence and your logo. Now, you know, now I'm buying into doing this interview. And, you know, how that translates to improv groups and, and, is do it the same way. You know, I've gotten to direct a lot of great improv groups here in Chicago. Mm -hmm. and, and, and people will ask me all the time about my advice. And I say the same thing. I'm a broken record. Be as professional and get as much of the details, the business stuff lined up first. So, um, you know, if you want to do an improv, you have an improv team or even a sketch group, find the venue. All right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, find the, the coach or the director and then go to that, go to the people that you want and say, these are my expectations. Um, uh, uh, and it's usually, it's not usually one person doing it. If you can get multiple people to do it, you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to succeed really quickly. Mm -hmm. So say, okay, all right. So we've got the venue and okay, we're, we're expecting you to rehearse twice a week for three hours and we've got, uh, you know, uh, John Lutz is our, um, director and we're going to pay John, you know, X amount of dollars and each player needs to come up with a hundred dollars. Mm -hmm. We're also going to, we, we also expect you to, to, you know, promote on Facebook and to tell your friends and get people, you know, that, you, you know, where you work, um, to come and your family members to come. All those expectations, the more professional you can be in anything, and especially in the improv community, because we are lazy, lazy, lazy. <laughs> Not as and lazy so, as stand-ups. Yeah, well, that's good to know. <laughs> I, I think I, I think on, on Improviser's Tombstone, they, say, they should say, you know, all I wanted to do was play, you know? <laughs> all I wanted to do was do the show. Yeah. But those aren't the people that get ahead, you know, because right. doing your own stuff, producing your own stuff, that's that's the thing that's going to separate you from everybody else and that's going to give you control and that's going to give you power mm -hmm. and if you do those things just those three things of like get the director get the venue you know uh, you know tell them what the expectations are in terms of promotion in terms of uh, you know, rehearsals and stuff like that. And you know it doesn't have to be a hard, it doesn't have to be those three things, but you get those you get you, you get your expectations out in front, you are going to attract, especially if you have a little talent, you are going to attract people. Because mm -hmm. I can tell you this, my experience with groups, it really does work. And in my own life, uh, it's worked. 
uh, you know, the opportunities that I've gotten, you know, improv nerd, I, I created that. I mean, with, with other people, I've got a team of people that do it now, you know, that helped me do it. I didn't have that when I started, but once you create something, people look at you differently. Yeah, that's very true. This has been such a great talk. I have learned so much and I know that the people listening are, are learning so much too. So thank you so much for doing it. We have reached the end of uh, the episode. So here's our opportunity to create something together. Great. What's something we could do together? What's something Wait, we could what, come up what, with? What is on your, what is, what's in your head that you, you'd like to create? Hmm. That's a good question. So, I'm trying to meld everything that we talked about together. So what what if we were creating a podcast? What would okay. we create? What would we create together? Well, we're I would, both already doing what we would do, so maybe that's a hard one to figure out. <laughs> how about let's let's talk about your trip to New York. Okay. And let's pre- let's get you uh, let's prepare you for your trip to New York. All right. I'm going to go up this coming Friday. We're going to go up there for 5 days. So uh okay. that'll be this will be good. Okay, so but you're planning you're, you're we are not, planning you're, to move there in February. Yeah. You're just going to go there for five days. Is that correct? Yes, in a few days I'm going there for five days, and then in February I'm moving there. Okay, so um, so let's create how we can get the most out of this trip. Okay. Okay, so you know that you're going to move in February, right? Yes. Okay, and do you know like what 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 like what you know if money and time were no object, what your we'll call this a, a, a vision, your vision here. I didn't make that up. So if money and time were no object, what 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 do you want to accomplish in New York? I want to get better as a performer and uh, that's a stand up and as an improviser and as a writer, and I want to get to be viable enough to where I could work professionally in the entertainment industry. Okay. And do you know what that job would be? Like your ultimate job? Ideally, I guess a comedic actor, but okay. you know, an on-camera performer. I would, I'll would. i word it that way because I, I, I guess I could also see myself hosting something. So uh, you want to be in front of the camera. Whatever it is, you could be hosting something. You could be in a sitcom. You could be in a movie. That's the childhood dream that's never died in me. However, okay. I also would I would love to write, you know, like I would love to write for a, a late night talk show. Okay. All right. Okay, so we've got uh, so we have two things here, right? Mm-hmm. We've got uh, writing for late night talk shows, which there's thank God there's opportunities in New York. Yeah. And then a comedic actor on camera performing, hosting. You could do something on. Do they still have MTV? Am I, I'm so the, out of touch. The MTV is still in New York, I believe. Okay. So, okay, you could do that. All right. So, um, all right, great. So we got the vision. So these five days, what do you have planned for five days when you're in New York? Well, we were looking over things. We're going to see Late Show with Stephen Colbert. <laughs> okay. Now, how'd you, get t- how'd you get tickets? I went online and signed up for the wait list, and then they sent me a, a message saying that we got tickets. Okay, great. So you got, you're going to see Stephen Colbert. All right. And uh, we're also going to go see The Roots Picnic. No, what is that? So The Roots, the band that on Jimmy Fallon? Roots crew on Jimmy Fallon, yeah. yes. Um, okay. They put on a concert, and it's like a two-day concert. And we're okay. going on the Saturday leg of the concert to see The Roots and D'Angelo and John Mayer, and we're really excited about that. 
But okay. um, also, we're gonna we're I want to go see Ass Cat so bad. So that's Sunday night, uh, and at UCB, and there are two shows, and hopefully, hopefully, we'll be able to get into one of them. Okay, and you know that still that those shows sell out, and you've got to get in line and stuff like that. Right, I have to ask some people who live there how to get in and what's a good time to show up so you can get in because I know there's a there are two shows and the second one's free but I when I saw that it was free I said that's gonna sell out real quick right okay so um and then uh so you've got all this is is any of this is this trip for pleasure well originally when we planned it yes it was a, a fun pleasure trip but then we decided to move there so it's partly gonna be uh, scouting. So you're going to spend days looking in neighborhoods for apartments and stuff? Um, I think just looking to see what feels right and then probably not looking. I don't know if we'll be looking at apartments, but at least going to certain neighborhoods and saying maybe this would be the right neighborhood to live in, a safe neighborhood. We have a lot of friends there who can help us with that too. Oh, great. Great. And uh, I think also just trying to learn how to maneuver around the city okay great okay and i also want to go to the pit and to magnet but i don't see how we can make everything work in five days okay great all right so that's that's what we've got for the five days to me like what i've seen like people like who've interned for improv nerd Mm -hmm. you know people have been able to to network and make connections Mm mm-hmm and to me, it seems like you're somebody who's not afraid. I mean, you reached out to me. You reached out to Sharna. I think your strong suit, one of your strong suits is probably, and you got a great personality, is to, to network. Is, is this, am I, I feel like I'm a psychic here. Is, is this right? Oh, I would say so. I think like, you know, like, um, I, I don't know on this trip if you're going to have time you know, to, to, to net, to network. But I mean, I know like Pitt has a, a bar. I mean, you could just go and, you know, you know, hang out there. Um, uh, you know, just to, just to, just to see it. I don't, you know, I would find out where, you know, where people go after ASCAT, you know, other people, other, you know, other improvisers, mm-hmm. you know, maybe the cast goes and hangs out somewhere. That's usually not the best place to like network, but, right. uh, you know, I would just think, you know, and, you know, I, I think you you got a real gift with that. Well, thank and, you. And, and I think that's that, you know, what, what I've seen, like, you know, you mentioned, like, I've gotten all these big names and comedy people. And, you know, it is a very impressive list. Mm-hmm. And a lot. And it, I'm telling you, it's, it's not easy, even after five years at 52 years old of age, to ask people to be on the podcast. But that though and, and and you know when i went out to you know try to sell the improv nerd as a tv show i had to call a lot of you know a lot of people and ask for help and people will help you the, the thing the hardest part is getting over your own self that humility that fear that i'm not good enough to to you know to 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 ask for help do you have a lot of improviser friends out there now I have a handful, yeah, and then even just some old friends and a and a stand up old stand up buddy is up there too. So okay, you know you know what I would do. Okay, we're 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 really trying. I would I would make it, uh, and you can fit this in your schedule and tell me if this will work. Okay. I would get together with them. I would just get together with them and then ask them a ton, you know, like questions. So 
when you, you know, like just go, Hey, moving to New York, what, what would your advice be? You know, what do I need to prepare myself? How do I, you know, I don't know if you, you know, I know getting on a, a Herald team at UCB is like one of the most competitive and one of the, you know, hardest things and a huge accomplishment if you can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's, you know, where should I study? This is the kind of improv I like. Um, stand up. Can you, you know, where, you know, because New York is different than where you are. You know, what are the open mics I can get to? And so I would just like, and then I, you know, I'd also take public transportation. Mm-hmm. New York has got great public transportation. I, I get a lay of the city. But, you know, I'd go if you could, even if you just went to pit for 20 minutes and, you know, looked in or whatever and went in the front bar and uh, or got to the magnet. But I think sitting down coffee or lunch with friends that are doing what you want to do and pick their brain is like to me that 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 would make the most sense based on how much time you have. Okay, very cool. Well, this was a very fun and very encouraging chat. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. You're welcome. And and let me know how New York goes. I absolutely will. And uh, I, I think it'd be great to have you on again, too. I feel like I've only scratched the surface here. I, you know, that's a, it's a huge compliment because we've almost been on for an hour. I know. Yeah, I think it'd be so great to, to pick your brain some more and learn more from you. I have plenty yeah. more I could learn. Yeah, and I, I have more to learn from you as well. Because oh, well, I never had the courage to go to New York or Los Angeles because I was afraid. <laughs> well, you took the courage to go to Chicago. Well, I was from Chicago. So oh, I had, yeah, I, I guess. Had the courage <laughs> to go from the suburbs to Chicago and then it's back to... Okay. <laughs> Jason, it's been a pleasure to be on, on this podcast. Thank you so much. Yes, and uh, people that are listening, uh, you know, if you like what Jason's doing... Check out Improv Nerd. It's on Feral Audio. We have over 200 uh, episodes of people, uh, improvisers. Just It's like a master class. So check that out, Improv Nerd at Feral Audio, or my website, jimmycorain.com. Great. Thank you so much. Break a leg, man. Thank you. There it is. What a fun interview. I very much enjoyed that. I know some of you are thinking, Jason, at the end there, he was just complimenting you. Why did we need to hear that? Uh, Fair question. I think it exemplified his posture and and taking a nice posture with somebody. He was gracious enough, as every guest has been gracious with their time with me. And I appreciated that. But he really showed in a very good sort of model. He, He really modeled that kind of let me support posture. I mean, if you think about it, you might need to re-listen just to catch this, but he literally was saying yes and several times in that conversation. Like that's so ingrained in him, that fundamental basic philosophy of improv. And he was utilizing it in his life with me. And it was so encouraging. He was giving all this information and so helpful. And I think that's great. I, I think he was exemplifying something that we all could use which is being better at making the people around us look good and feel good and help them. Good on Jimmy Crane. I'm really glad I had the chance to talk to him. Very thankful for this episode. As you heard him say, you can go to jimmycorain.com. You can find out more information about him. Of course, go to Feral Audio and listen to all the podcasts on there. There are plenty of good ones. His is one of them, Improv Nerd. It really is a masterclass, as he said. 
You can also check out more about the podcast Improv Nerd on Twitter and Facebook at Improv Nerd on Twitter. Really great resource of good information there. And you can also find out more about this podcast. Of course, I mentioned earlier, thereitispod.com and on Twitter at thereitispod as well as on Facebook. And if you want to support, please do. I very much would appreciate that. I hope you all have their-itis. Well, there you have it, folks. Another episode of There It Is. And as Jimmy Crane would say, another episode in the can. Next week's episode going to be a special one at a New York City. Get a rope. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr.